Hello everyone, welcome back. My name is Sam. And I'm Melissa. I grew up in the FLDS community. It is a polygamous group run by Warren Jeffs, and I moved out when I was 18 years old. I was raised LDS. Sam and I have been married for almost nine years, have two awesome kids. And now on this channel, our mission here is to create compassion for communities that are misunderstood, marginalized, and were abused by their leaders, as well as empower those who have left, like Sam, by giving them a platform to share their stories with the world. Yes, and we are very excited today to welcome the Black family, both Jeff and Erna Black. Welcome and thank you for being here. Uh, Erna is actually my cousin, so very excited to reconnect with you. It's been a long time, but thank you for being here and thank you for being willing to share your story with us and everyone else. We're so excited to hear more about their individual stories and what it was like for them individually. We hear they have very different upbringings, both within the FLDS. So a lot of times we think that the FLDS Everybody had the same experience, and we love sharing people's stories on here because we get to see insight that every single person, every family is different, just like people that aren't a part of the FLDS. Out in the real world, everybody has a different upbringing, so we're excited to show some differences within the FLDS. So, coming to our awesome guest, um, Jeff, do you want to start off by sharing a little bit of what it was like for you? Where did you grow up? Yes, um, so my name is Jeff Black, and thank you very much for having me on your channel. I grew up very differently than my wife did um, because I was born in Logan, Utah. Um, my dad was uh, going to college there to become a school teacher. Um, so he was working through college to get his credentials and whatnot when I was born. And so, like I say, it was very different. Um, we had a family dog, it was a German Shepherd. and. Um, that dog was very protective of me. We were great friends. Um, my mom could just put me outside with the dog and the dog would keep me from going out in the busy street and, and we played well together. Um, so that's something that I know is really taboo for even Sam because dogs were not allowed when Sam grew up. That's very true, especially in my family. You know, there were some families that did have dogs, but that wasn't allowed in my family. And in fact, it came to a point at some, you may remember this, Jeff, it came to a point where dogs were looked at as evil things in the community. Do you oh, remember that? Absolutely. Um, in fact, they even went so far as to say there was a vacancy in dog heaven, which I do not agree with, but that's what God <laughs> said. I have a lot of uh, early memories of growing up in Logan. Um, my mom was LDS, and she was always proud of the fact that she said she was never formally excommunicated, even though <laughs> she was part of the FLDS. My mom was born in Germany. And her mom was born in Holland. Her dad was born in Germany. And she came across the ocean when she was five years old. And she remembers seeing the Statue of Liberty um, from the ship when they came into the harbor. And then they got on a train and they traveled for several days. I think it was a week. Um, there was an LDS uh, couple that sponsored them to come over from Germany. And she paid their way and they stayed at her house in Ogden, Utah. So when my mom was five, then that's where she lived. So where they had been converted to Mormonism in Europe and then Correct. their whole trip to America was to be able to make it to Utah. Correct. That is wow. an incredible journey coming mm -hmm. that far for religious beliefs. Correct, yeah. yes. Wow. But I guess my mom's parents weren't entirely satisfied with just the LDS and so they kind of, their whole life went religious shopping, so to speak, with different LDS groups for the religion, trying to decide which one was really the true religion. So that I guess they weren't happy with their mainstream LDS, and so they went all around. And hmm. one of the things that they did, um, at first, they joined the Coonses, and so my mom's oldest sister uh, married one of the Coons, and then I guess they got dissatisfied with them and they ended up, uh, found the FLDS and so my mom married my dad there. Um, Do you know if your parent was your parents' marriage an arranged marriage? Yes. Okay. It so was. when she, and so her family, how old was she when the family became part of the FLDS and what age was she when she was married? Do you know? Um, yes, she was 15 and she was married when she was 16. Wow. And do you know how old your father was at that time? My dad was 25. 
Okay. He's still in his twenties. Dad so. was nine years older than she was. So twenty-five okay. and sixteen. Yes. Wow. And was um, your mother the first wife? Yes. Your father? Okay. And the only wife, actually. Oh, oh really? Sure, the only yes. wife. That would be unique to the FLDS. Yep. Correct. And I, I also just wanted to point out how interesting it is that they were convinced that the that the LDS belief was the truth. But they just thought that there was a different group out there that they had to shop around for and try to find the right group. Because a lot of people will leave one entire, I guess, uh, belief, system. belief system and try to go find something completely different because they didn't feel okay about that. But all of these groups were very similar, just a little, little different practices. That is, I agree, also very interesting. I think it was also unusual, tell me if I'm wrong, but for your parents to be placed at that time because most people dated or at least met each other and asked permission to get married. Correct. They back in those, back days. In those days, they, my parents often talked about that there was dating and, and that was pretty mm -hmm. much the normal. My dad, though, was a grandson to the prophet at the time who was Leroy Johnson. So oh, Leroy wow. Johnson is my great-grandpa. Oh, wow. Uh, and so I guess him being the prophet so to speak, at the time, then he decided he was going to start doing placement marriages, and so that, I guess my dad was possibly one of the first. Oh, okay. wow. Okay. So living in Salt Lake as FLDS, or growing up in Salt Lake in Logan area, you said, right, when you were younger? Uh, actually, um, interesting enough, we moved all over the place. So I, the earliest memories, Logan, then we moved to Cedar City, then we moved to actually out to the Short Creek, and I went to first and second grade there oh. um, in the FLDS. And then um, third grade and fourth grade. Uh, third grade was in Washington, Utah. Fourth grade, we're back to Salt Lake. And then from fourth grade through till I was like 12 years old, so probably seventh grade, then uh, it was pretty much Salt Lake. Okay. Were those movements um, dictated by the church at all, or was it all no. familial because of work or it was normal all circumstances? Work for whatever reason, my dad had. I honestly believe that my dad was autistic. He was extremely intelligent. Um, it would be part of what some people would call um, Asperger's, oh. and I believe that's what my dad had. And so a lot of people didn't understand him really well. And I think that um, kind of added to the, his inability, so to speak, to be able to hold job for really long. And gotcha. even though he had school teaching credentials, he his jobs were school teaching, and he just went around and taught at different places. And most of the time, he was substitute teaching. And he wasn't a bad person. I mean, I have some bad abuses that happened from him because he could get really angry, but I think that's also characteristic of uh, Asperger's and whatnot. Um, but he had a very, very gentle side to him, which is, in, in my mom's words, that's the part of him that she absolutely loved. Mm. And um, I believe that I'm the person that I am because I loved that side of him as well. So he, he was a very good dad, but he could be um, very unreasonable too. <laughs> yeah. 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 I know you said there were some main things that you felt like growing up were a lot different. Things like being able to watch cartoons. Oh yes, thank And you. things like that. What were some of those rules? And then also, did you know at that time growing up that they were different than the way other FLDS children were being raised? Like, did you know there was a difference? Like, oh, I get to do these things and other kids within their religion aren't? Or were you just in your own bubble of you thought everybody got to do that? I was in my own bubble, thought everybody got to do that, and was quite shocked, actually, after I got married, to find out that that was really taboo, and my wife did not get to do that. So, <laughs> What were some of those differences? Um, so I grew up uh, after school, and actually before school, I watched Sesame Street, Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood, and all that. I learned my first ABCs, my numbers, by watching Sesame Street, Big Bird, Oscar the Grouch, and all that fun stuff. Go and ahead. this was, was this something that you could just walk in the house and, and turn on the TV if you wanted to, or, or was there some kind of supervision required? There was always supervision required. I was forbidden from turning the TV on unless it was Saturday morning. Saturday morning was open because we could watch Saturday morning cartoons and um, my parents usually wanted to sleep in. So they're like, <laughs> yeah, knock yourself out. And, right. Um, That's how I we grew up. We kind of transitioned from 
Um, a lot of the time growing up, we just had black and white TV, and there was a few times we were spoiled and had color TVs. Uh, so just <laughs> watch out. So you know, I guess I'm kind of old and ancient because nobody knows what black and white is nowadays. <laughs> Everybody has colors. Right. Yeah. Well, that is interesting because for me, and uh, maybe for you as well, Lerna, it was very different. Uh, oh yeah. There was no TV allowed. No. There was some movies allowed in our house, but it was direct supervision. We had to get approval. And in fact, our father had to be in the room with us to watch any kind of movie. Yeah. So that was what it was like for me growing up. And, and even then, the movies that we were allowed to watch were very selective. I mean, I did watch Winnie the Pooh. So, you know, watch out. Very intense. And, and we did. Uh, let's see here. I think the most intense movie I actually watched as a kid was The Sound of Music. Yeah. And, and I did watch that one, but it was very, very limited and there had to be very strict supervision to see any of those. I'm getting really scared. I'm wondering if I really should be here. See you, Sam. No. <laughs> <laughs> You're watching stuff Joking. like that at a young Joking. age. <laughs> <laughs> what about you for you, Erna? What were some of the rules growing up as a young child in your house? So Sam described it pretty clear right there. <laughs> we didn't watch anything. And when he said Winnie the Pooh, I was like, hmm, that mom, let us watch Winnie the Pooh. But she had to be there. Okay. And my oldest daughter, she's 28 now, and at times mom would come to my house and put Winnie the Pooh in and watch with her. And that was even a little bit taboo at the time, but nobody did, so yeah. she did that. But no, we didn't watch. I mean, I'm old enough that I kind of remember way back in the days they would have a community show and show it on a reel and wow. on a big screen outside. And, wow. But that was very rare. and. For us kids to get to go was, I'll put it this way, it always had to be my mom saying yes, because she was always the no mom. No. Uh, <laughs> Everything was very strict with her. And I, did you grow up in Short Creek? Yes, I did. Your whole life? Okay. Yep. Lauren lived there. I, I did life. see a few of those films growing up, and there was usually only three of them that they played. Over my um, Chitty Chitty Bang Bang, Blackbeard's Ghost, and I had the third one on the tip of my tongue. Something about a horse, but yeah. Huh. Chitty Chitty Bang Bang, classic. I grew yeah, up on Chitty Chitty yeah. Bang Bang as well. That's, and Sound of Music. That's funny that they were playing some of these really classic ones. That, yeah. you know, and that, Those were some of the ones that I grew up with. I don't think I ever watched Chitty Chitty Bang Bang. Yeah, I don't think I got to watch that. That would have been no, a little too been, crazy for yeah. the liking of, of yeah. my parents. There was the bad guy. Mm -hmm. yeah. I mean, the bad, the bad guy. guy that's <laughs> going to steal the children. I mean, well, and, and a little to, to put that um, more how I grew up, and maybe you too, Sam, Anything that was not realistic, that maybe make believe or anything, was not allowed in my house. Or not with my mom. Mm. It was always like very much forward, strict. Were you allowed to have baby dolls? Um, because I've yes, heard because different things. I was things. old enough that yes, we could have dolls. But okay. my family was we grew up pretty poor, so I didn't really ever have baby dolls, and I had lots and lots of nieces and nephews that were my baby dolls. Live so baby dolls. That, <laughs> so Erna, just to kind of go back, could you just give us a little bit of your backstory too, as far as who your parents are and what it was like? Okay. So you say you grew up in Colorado City, mm -hmm. Hilldale area yeah. your entire life. Yeah, I was born and raised there. In fact, I remember first time I ever went out of town, I was probably 12 or 13. Wow. wow. So I, I thought the road to Cedar City was like so far away. So the world was very small, and I spent most of my time barefoot and running around on the mountains, which, mm -hmm. you know, our family had probably a little more freedom than you because it was earlier years. And right, so yes. We lived just, so you ended up living down the street from us when I was about 12, 13, your dad moved in. Oh. And we had the mountain there. We'd run all over. That was our backyard. That and sounds familiar. And, and so I grew up in a home with... Um, four moms, but not in the same home. The mom, they, we had three different houses, and all of them had their own kitchen, their own area, and their own kids. Wow. So it was... Was that common that at was, the time, to have the houses separate? It, was it a later it was, thing, having all of the mothers in the same home, or was it just yeah. in your particular family? As a kid, I thought it was pretty common, but as I grew up, I realized that people that were kind of higher up in the church, or more elite, they had their families in one Big unit. Uh -huh. I remember as a first grader listening to some of my friends talking and the 
troubles they'd have in the house more than one mom and I'm like oh man I'm mm. glad it's not that way so I, <laughs> you know and yeah. so for us growing up it was actually just kind of fun all the time because I had lots of brothers and sisters and it was like they were the neighbors but they were also family so we got lots of sleepovers lots of fun times together and we only had to check in if we were hungry and I think that's because there were so many of us it was like my own mom um so i was raised without her home much because she had to travel to salt lake and work oh, okay. great enough income so she was the provider for the house i lived in a house with her and which was a little more unique than the other moms my, her, my mom and her the other mom eva shared the same kitchen oh, okay and to describe my childhood because uh my dad was out of the picture i only remember seeing him a few times in my life he actually ended up going to prison oh wow so i had only met him a couple times in my life so i never knew him mm. um but he didn't go to prison until i was a fifth grader but within that time i had only met him three or four times wow when he went to prison so, did they place like your mother with another man was so, she assigned a no different? not at the time um so i spent most of my years growing up with my mom and her sister wife which yeah. was the other mom eva in the same house and looking back now it was like eva was the mom my mom was the dad i mean mm. she was off earning the bread keeping the house keeping you know what did she do for she work had, she worked at a rest home and then also sit in for elderly people like okay. in their own homes and, Interesting. So she, how, how many uh, children did your mother have and how many total between Oh, between the four mothers there was 52. Wow. <laughs> and then within your home with and your then, mother and yeah. the other mother, how many so, did you grow up like with around? Oh, that's a good question. I can't even remember how many my own mom had. A lot. The other mom had 14 and I think my mom had 13. <laughs> wow. I would do have to do some counting. But, Big family. You know, uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and I can, I can name them off as well as I start in order from one mom's kids down all the way. But I'm always impressed with any yeah. women that we interview are yeah. like, oh, I can name all my siblings and then I can count them. And whenever I ask yeah. the men, I'm there, he's always like, I don't know. Let me call my sister. Yeah, <laughs> and have her list yeah. of Do you know how many siblings do you have, Jeff? Absolutely. My yeah. mom had 10 and that includes me. Yeah. There, there you go. Well, that's not very so. complicated. <laughs> yeah, what about the other three wives? <laughs> so, Didn't exist in my family. Yeah, so. yeah. that's interesting. So you, your question was if they married somebody else. So yeah. when I, it, we were, grew up within the home, just like I was saying, the two moms and them. And then it was quite a few years. So probably 10, 15 years later, they married um, the brother to my dad and oh, okay and she had one mom and then eventually within a couple of years we all moved into the same house that was it <laughs> oh my <laughs> word was, yeah so how many wives were in the home at that time five so he okay had one of them, five. but that yeah. was when you were a little bit older yeah i was actually by the time they married into the home i was of age i was actually 20 by then Okay. I'm just I hadn't moved out and I was still helping support my mom and support the family. Mm. So basically your entire so, childhood never yeah. having a father figure at all. Yeah, not at all. That. In fact, uh, yeah, very rarely I had no appreciation for men whatsoever. Interesting. Wow. Did you sad. have a lot of brothers? Yeah. I had a lot of brothers and um, they had a really, really rough life and they were rough with us. Mm. It was it was a difficult life. It's like I was telling Jeff, you know, if you didn't know how to swim, they'd just go throw you in the lake. You know, if yeah. you didn't like spiders, they'd bring you a big spider. I mean, yeah. so I learned real quick, like, to be a cook kid is pretty much you had to be able to survive on your own and, yeah, wow. have no fear. You know, it's kind of expected of us. But, Which I have to tell this to, as a yeah. contrast. So yeah. yes, our wedding see. night, then um, oh, yeah, I pulled hilarious. the covers down and there was a spider. And I'm like, a spider. And she's like. That's funny. Yeah, so, so speaking of your wedding, you were raised you in uh, Erna, you in Colorado City area your entire life. Yeah. Jeff, you kind of moved around a little bit, but ended up in Salt Lake area. So uh, moved all around until um, I was in eighth grade, 
and then from there on out, I was living in um, FLDS community in Colorado City, Hildale. Okay, oh, so you ended up, okay. ended up in Hildale. Okay. Yes. So one of my close neighbors then. Correct. And actually, um, one of the places I lived was Buckhorn Ranch, and that is where I met your older brothers and knew them really Yes. Well. Oh, okay. okay. Buckhorn Ranch. So that was on your way, let's see, was it past Cedar City? North it's of north City. of Parowan. North of Cedar City and Parowan. Okay. Yes. So. Yes. I've driven by many a times, but I've never actually stopped. It was before my time that my brothers were having a good time there. Yeah. If anyone wants to know, it's exit 95. Exit 95. <laughs> there you <Yeah>. go. <laughs> now I know, too. <laughs> Did you know each other before... Well, I'm excited to hear so, the whole story. How did you so meet? So, know each other, no. Okay. Run into each other and meet each other, yes, because she actually came up to Buckhorn Ranch while I was living there, too. Oh, okay. So, that's where you... She actually was one of the children since we couldn't say kids back then uh, one of the kids that um we were supposed to be having a nap over to um the big zitting house um and she thought i was cool because i could stand on my head so yeah you were impressed with them right from the get-go well it kind of goes beyond before that even he these when he moved in town was first grader across the street he lived across the street from us. Literally. Okay. Right so and I, I don't know why, but I have tons of memories of him. He had no idea who I was. But I remember him as a preschool climbing the tree and his mom coming out and panicking because he's way up in this tall tree <laughs> and he wouldn't come down. Wow. You know, so yeah, oh, we, we do have so a we shared have run in. Yeah. We do have a shared childhood memory of a grandma Bradshaw that lived on the oh, same right. street that was just so kind to all of yeah. the children. Oh. And we both have fond memories of going over and seeing her. So yeah. Good. So, and so, so when you first met, about what age were you? High school. So by the time we really like, yeah, met oh, each other as okay. a high school age, I think you were probably a senior that year. I think so. Yes, which would make me a junior. And back in your day, what kind of relationship were you were you allowed to have? Did you get to date? So yeah, talk. That what did that look like? Opposites too. No, no dating, of course. But yeah. Um, yeah, we could talk. I mean, I had friends. Her yeah. her sister particularly was my friend, but it obviously wasn't anything but just totally just friends. Right. Um, and actually, I was really nice. I'd go around and offer pieces of gum and whatnot, and this is just one of those memories seared in my brain because um, we shared a typing class, and one day I offered her some gum. And yeah, if looks could kill, I would be a puddle of goo right there, and I would not be talking. But yeah, I never offered her gum. I never talked to her anymore. I was just like, okay, yeah. Yeah, don't talk to this one. She will kill you. You will be shredded. So that would show, like, my mom was very, very strict. I mean, and she would tell me, you do not talk to the boys. If they talk to you, you walk away. Do not talk to any boys, you know. So I... Boys I are like snakes, right? A lot. Yeah. <laughs> I hadn't heard that till a little later on. But, yeah, I was strictly forbidden to talk to the boys. And so to have somebody just come up to me and start talking naturally like a friend, I mean, that... Jeff didn't even understand at the time that that was taboo because he had, I had, had a lot of town. culture shock and yeah. people not treating me good. And I even um, kind of beat myself up because, oh, my gosh, I didn't grow up with all these elite people that know all of this proper stuff. Yeah. Because it was normal for me going to public school to just walk up and talk to the girls. They were just one of your the students in the class. It doesn't yeah. mean that... That golly, I'm going to go hop into bed with them because I talked to them, you know. Yeah. It doesn't work that way. And yeah. so I didn't understand that there's supposed to be all this separation and everything. And I would just go and be normal how it was to me to be normal. And, right. And Melissa understands that um, because having grown up in public school, it, that's yeah. just normal, you know. Yeah. And I got in a lot of trouble a lot of times because the yeah. girls would treat me like, oh my gosh, you're trying to be a boyfriend. What are you talking about? It, just trying to say it's, in, it's interesting now that you were you felt so bad because of the way you weren't as like you said elite, right? You didn't know the proper way to go about doing things. 
little did you know at the time that the way you were was a lot more normal, normal. <laughs> right? Yeah. You didn't realize that that was the normal, yeah. not the way that these and so quote unquote elite people were. Right. Instead of feeling bad about it now at this point in my life, I'm very grateful because I believe it is one of the things that has carried my family through when we're all together. Yeah. Yeah. Because I was more normal and it took me a while and helped a lot of my children be a lot more normal than some other people who the other normal was abnormal and we didn't realize it. So. Right. Yeah. so how did you find out that you were going to be married? Did you ask? Did you get so, assigned or yeah, what did that look like? Interesting too because we were just assigned, okay. introduced to each other. But we actually had a few days to me, and, and I was actually told, you can make a choice if this is oh. really okay with you. Wow. I think that was the very, very last time, because that day, they brought two people up, married them, and they had never met, seen each other, and from there on out, after that, that was how all the marriages were. Who was the prophet at that time? It was Roland. The Roland Jeff's a little bit less crazy during his... Yeah. time than, right. than Warren, of course. But it seemed like, like you said, even towards the end of well, Rulin's life, things were starting to change pretty yeah. quickly. And I think even right when we got married, it was a lot of Warren's doings, how it was arranged. It wasn't his choice who was married together, like him and I, but it was Warren's choice when the performance was done. He was the one that that day said, hey, Father, let's, the, the, these two people are here. My other people that got married that day just never had met, never seen each other. Wow. And we were all a little bit shocked. And at our wedding, Warren came in and announced that Father wants these weddings to be more private and no family after this. So oh. him and I had all of our family, which was huge at the time because wow. I have tons of extended family. And so we were all, we had a huge wedding. Oh, wow. A huge uh, reception and everything. But after that, it was just cut down. It was like, oh, no how lucky. So, yeah. It also, I, I it's from like an outsider perspective, yeah. like the fact that you're so lucky because you got three days is yeah. also just still a little crazy. It <laughs> it's is. like, oh, yeah. whoa, three days, right. you know, to be able to get to know yeah. each other. And yet like that is so awesome. And that yeah. can you be able to have at least a couple days and have yeah. your family. That's wonderful. And those three days, whether it was called dating or courtship or whatever it was called for you, it was yeah. probably still very limited on what you oh, were supposed yes. to do. Maybe oh, just yeah. conversation. Right. Yes, exactly. Mm -hmm. Well, I'm, I was very uneducated, so I would go to my mom. Hey, mom, what what is okay? Of course, we call her mother. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but can I hold his hand? You know, I'm like, hey, I really kind of like him, and I'm not buried. Is that okay? You know, mm -hmm. how am I supposed to feel? Even and right. she was, you know, like, okay, yeah, this is this is okay, and but. She was definitely like no touching, no kissing. You know, I'd, I'd had a bigger sister that when she got married, they decided to practice kissing before, and that was pretty tapping. <laughs> <laughs> so she yeah, made that so really like, plain oh, right yeah. up front. She's like, We are You're not, not going to be doing any kissing. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I didn't know where that was coming from. Yeah, right? So, so yeah, how did you think yeah. I, I mean, Blew me out of the water. Yeah. I, I wasn't even on my brain. What are you yeah. talking about? So, yeah. Um, yeah. I would like to back up real fast, though, um, and kind of address the question a little bit about um, how we got married, etc. Because in my case, and in the case I'm sure of a lot of people back in those days, it wasn't like it was an entire shock because once you became 18 and became an elder, then now you have the Melchizedek priesthood, and so um, you had the ability to be married, and then you have to keep paying your tithing and being good and coming to priest meeting and going to church and doing all this stuff. And the other thing that was important is you're supposed to be making regular appointments with the prophet and go turn yourself in and say, okay, I'm trying to get ready. In my case, um, I got a house. I got I First, I got a lot, put a house on it, got water and power and everything hooked up to it. And so I was actually living alone in my house and being prepared and ready for to get married and so yeah. um, and it was uh, several years after I had turned myself in so to speak that one day I walked in and rule and said hi I have a companion for you and I was kind of looking yeah. behind me to see who he was talking about because obviously it wasn't me and it had been three or four <laughs> years since supposedly I turned myself in so yeah. it was in some ways kind of a shock but it wasn't yeah. Yeah. wow that is a lot of preparation like if 
if people in the outside world, if you're like, in order to be allowed to be married as a young man, you need to buy a lot, build a home, have all these things, prepared all these ducks in a row. Not as many people well, would be getting married as young. At what age were you when you turned yourself in and said you were ready? 18. Okay. Wow. We got married when I was 23. And it seemed like 20s was pretty common for the man out there. Correct. And I, I had a lot of older brothers that I know. They were given a lot. They turned themselves in. They were doing all these things you just spoke of. By the time I was 18 years old, well, I left the month I turned 18, so I didn't have a whole lot of 18 years experience out there in, in the, that community. Did you have a lot in the house waiting for But I did not have a lot in the house. And it seemed like that by the time I came around, things were just way different. You didn't really turn yourself in. You just sat on your thumbs and waited for a call. And sometimes that call never came. Sometimes it did. Yeah. And But it was just a lot different than yeah. what you described now. To, to be honest, I don't know but what I would have done what you did. Because if I wouldn't have had the hope and that, you know, I wanted to go on with life, so to speak. I mm -hmm. wanted to be one of the good people and start a family and you know, yeah. have, be able to talk to girls, you know, at least one. Just want to be able to have that person. So that was kind of your preparation. And then they said, okay, you can get married now. What You, you mentioned that the uh, wedding was large. A lot of people were allowed yeah. to come. And you were allowed to have a reception. Yes. Mm -hmm. That is huge as well. My, yeah, my mom threw a reception. Of course, the rest of the family helped everything. But It's so wonderful. Yeah, that was it was huge. <laughs> yeah, good. So, and what was the what was the wedding? Because this is something that I've been wanting to ask someone that I don't have the answer to because I was never married out there. Mm -hmm. What was the wedding ceremony like? The actual getting married part. So um, we were told not to have the prophet's marriage done before we had a legal marriage, which is kind of interesting because oh. after that, that quit too. Like. So, they didn't worry about that legal marriage. Correct. Anymore. But we exactly. weren't considered actually married until the so-called priest had yeah. married us. And we were informed of that. So they used yeah, to do so it. They they yes. used to do it similarly to the way the mainstream LDS church does it today. Uh, is the civil marriage and then and then the uh, the right. marriage through the church or the sealing? Did they call it a sealing? Yes. yes. Okay. Yes. Right. The marriage covenant. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So where did you guys get civilly married? And was that? A large thing was that the large portion so or did that get done we did have a kind of a civil marriage pretty, ceremony it was a pretty big crowd it and was it was a fairly big crowd people. where uh -huh. our parents were there and there was walter steed is the one who was the justice of the peace and he did the civil marriage and he just came over to her dad's house which was a large house and had a large room where everyone could show up and so um, we did the ceremony there, and we did actually exchange extremely fancy rings because they asked, Walter asked if I had a ring, and I said, yes, I have a whole pocket of them. And I pulled out my Band-Aids and showed him. Uh -huh. <laughs> so our civil marriage, we got married with Band-Aids for our rings. Oh, <laughs> that's pretty cute, yeah, actually. That, that you're being serious. You're a jokester, but, so I wanted to make sure. Right, right. But wow. It was joking at the time, but that's what I used. And, <laughs> right. and everybody laughed when he, when Walter's like, do you have a ring? I sure do. A whole pocket of them. <laughs> well, but because of the way we were brought up, that was, in a way, a joke for us to have to be It was taboo silly. to have a ring. So we were oh, okay. looking at it like, okay, we've got to go through this ceremony. Yeah. So that we can that, be married within the I church. Mean, I, yeah, in my mind, I actually had no real connection with that marriage. It was just like, okay, this is going to be done Same. so that we could actually get married. And right. so it was somewhat a joke. And so, so therefore, he, it wasn't offensive yeah. when I put the Band-Aid on her finger. And, and he had like asked me and warned me. <laughs> before oh, very thoughtful. <laughs> and we should, we should probably point out, you mentioned Walter Steed was the one that performed the legal yeah. marriage. Yeah. Uh, he is a member of the FLDS as well. Right. And Correct. so that's interesting. I didn't realize this, that someone, a member of the FLDS, was also the one performing the legal side of the marriage. Yes. Okay, yeah. that as far as being performed, as far as the marriage license itself, we went down to the courthouse and got the marriage license and then took, hand-carried that license to Walter where um, the actual certificate was signed by our parents in Walter's state. I see. Okay. Yeah. That makes sense. Typical. We had to go get a marriage. That, that makes sense. Yep. So the next question you want to know, did we kiss? 
<laughs> because that was not the marriage. There was no, was, you can't kiss the bride at the end of that because you got to wait. At the end of the priesthood exactly. ceremony, so to speak, or the sealing, then that's what Ruland said. You may now kiss the bride. And so obviously it was just a real quick peck and then, okay, yeah, whatever that was. I mean, I, that, <laughs> that wasn't even thrilling. It's just yeah. like, wow, everybody's going to watch that us do this. I mean, let's get over that. Yeah, yeah I bet. Let's do plan A, yeah. screaming drunk. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, and if your whole life, you know, okay, no touching, no kissing, no kissing, no yeah. kissing. But my first kiss is going to be in front of hundreds of people. Right. Mm -hmm. Like, right. yeah, that'd be yeah. intimidating. Yeah, it would be. Yeah, and when we met a few days before that, it was kind of the same thing. Everybody was right there, and I was like, how are we going to get to know each other with, you know, 300 people watching? Let's just yeah. leave. Wow. <laughs> My dad was kind enough to say, you know what, I suggest you do that. Just take her and go somewhere. Uh -huh. but, you know. So, and I was trying to be good, so I was going to take her to church right after that. Because <laughs> our priesthood meeting was in the morning, 10 o'clock in the morning. I think it got over at 10. And I was supposed to, um, as I went through the line of priesthood meeting, because they were trying to get a hold of her dad to find out if it was okay if I even could. Because well, that's how it worked back then. Because they actually respected the fathers or the dads. Mm. But thank goodness and, my dad did have enough respect to ask me if I was okay. Yeah. yeah so when I came through the line at priesthood meeting, then I shook Ruland's hand and he was just shaking hands and I didn't let go of his hand until I, he was supposed to tell me. Mm. And um, Wendell Nelson was there and he said, hey. And Ruland looked up and, oh. He said, well, I talked to the man, and he said, you can go ahead. And I said, right now? Yes, sir, right now. Okay. So wow. <laughs> I went straight over to her house. Everything so. was permission. Yeah. Everything was permission after. Yeah. Wow. Even to call me on the phone to invite me to come with him the next day, I had to get permission through my dad before I could. Wow. Leave, so. What was the biggest shock? Because obviously your entire life you're being raised as a woman to be a wife and a mother, right? And the men are raised to be, I mean, all the preparation that you did to be ready to be a husband and a father. What was the biggest shock when you got married that you're like, this is different than what I expected my whole life to be? Was there anything that you were like, this is a lot different? Or was it exactly as you um, had expected? We both have different answers probably. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Sure. So in my case, um, my mom was extremely hurt by the fact that my dad um, would basically do a lot of forcing and say, I am the priesthood head and you just have to do what I say. And um, I was determined that I was not going to be that kind of husband. And so in my case, um, I guess I was a bad priesthood man from the get-go because I always asked her and I always was careful that I never wanted to ask her anything that she was uncomfortable with. And I, I was so totally against being forced because that is the number one thing that had happened to me that I was determined would never happen to any of my family, and that was to be forced. Yeah. I was so against that. Well, that's amazing that you could look at the situation you were raised in and take take the good and leave the bad and, and try to change yeah. that. That's that's all you can hope for, right? Mm -hmm. Correct. So good job with that. Yeah. My answer would probably be the same because I was just really shocked. I mean, the first thing I probably told him was like, Okay, if you ask me a question and you want to know my opinion, then listen. Because I was already like in defense mode. Like you are a man and don't even ask me what I think if you're not listening anyway. And so that's probably one of the first things I was like, don't, you know, if, if you're going to talk to me, listen. And, and he has always listened, but it's probably kind of both of us coming together from our different cultures and... I, I, you know, we grew up completely different, but we both had had quite a trauma, traumatized childhood, teenage years. And, and so and the, that being said, yeah. one of the questions I get or the assumptions that I've had different people say or ask, and that is, is that, oh, well, you were just an arranged marriage and um, you just had the priesthood and she always had to just do what you said and love and everything just came naturally. And I'm like, no, no. absolutely <laughs> not. It is no different than what you guys went through. There was a period of time, yeah, okay, so we were married, fine. But there was still, still a period of time where we had to get to know each other. And, and yeah. as time progressed, we had a choice. Are we 
nobody succeeds in marriage without both people working at it. And about five year five point, then we got to the point where, okay, you know, yes. we're, we're finally figuring this out and making it work. But yeah. we went through a lot of heck before that. So, yeah. well, and I feel like, yeah, when you don't have the time to court and be able to date and get to know each other on that, I can only imagine that that period of dating and getting to know is now just within that marriage time, yeah. but you still mm -hmm. have to go through it, right? right? You still have to find yeah. out all those things. Except and, in my case and in the FLDS, there was a lot of that where they're like, I'm the priesthood man and you will do what I say. Oh, that's yeah. exactly, and that's what you hear about I, a lot. And that's your right. right? I never <laughs> did that. And they, well, it supposedly yeah. was my right, but I, I didn't feel like that was right to treat the person that I loved that way. And I told her from the get-go, you know, okay, so I don't know you, but I just want you to know right now, I love you. If I change my mind, I will let you know. <laughs> I figured I was going to hear any <laughs> I've never changed my mind. Never have, never will. So, okay. I think yeah. after about 10 years, then we're finally like, you know what, we are friends. You know, and then it was after that that we fell in love. Like, honestly, well, being, that's a lot of years. Coming together yeah. that way and being where a marriage is arranged, you know, you would have yeah. to, you'd have to try to become friends yeah. to, to, be, to begin with, to actually yeah. have a connection with each other yeah. and then move on to the, I love you, right. you know, and, and exactly. so yeah. it's very, a very unique way to go about it, but right. it's definitely, I mean, this stuff, this arranged marriages happens in lots of different yeah. cultures. Uh, but I'm very happy to hear that it worked out for you very well because I know it wasn't part, the case yeah. for everyone. Right. Yeah. The sad part is there it did affect of, the kids. It's yeah. really hard on the kids. Mm. There's a yeah, lot of people it. even um, yeah. that were jealous of us and yeah. didn't treat us all that well. And it was because of that reason they could see that we loved each other. But I didn't go around like a lot of um, other examples that I'd seen. And that is that I hold the priesthood and here's my big stick and you will do what I say. Bam, 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 bam. <laughs> Yeah, people are resenting the fact that they weren't lucky enough to be able to have that. Right. Correct. Right? Yeah. It's really hard to see other people be happy when they're stuck in the same situation and aren't happy. But in my mind, then, we were always told that, that it was a gift, that when you get married, it's a gift. And so I'm like, okay, well, if this is a gift, how am I going to treat my gift? And that's why I said, I told her up front, I love you. And that was because I, I'm making that choice right now that I love you. Doesn't matter who you are, doesn't matter where you came from, I don't really care. I love you and we're gonna figure this out together. And I think that was a, a very good starting point, which made all the difference, I believe, for our whole lives. Yeah. That's so good. how long after was it that you started having children? <laughs> so our, our Nine months. <laughs> the first one can come any time. The second one takes nine months. No, in our case, it did nine months. So, so the first, we had a child right away. And mm -hmm. then the next one is three years younger than her, so okay. four years. Four years, okay. And then how many children total? Eight. Eight, Eight children total. Neither one of us feel bad about that, though. It was, it was good. That's We're wonderful. Glad. Good. You say that you're glad to have that many. Is that what you're referring no, to? No, I'm saying we're, we're, we're still glad that we had our first one that fast. Oh, I see. Yeah. Okay. It kind of brought us together. Yes. It kind of helped us grow. I mean, that's kind of sad that that's how it had to happen. But when you, you know, there's no dating, there's no time together. It's like yeah. the child became the common interest really yeah. fast. Yeah. Not that. I so mean, I can see sense. that. I can see that. A lot of times children you hear bring relationships together and or at least they should. Yeah. <laughs> it can also make things harder right. too in certain yeah, ways, right. in certain aspects. Yeah, we right? grow up really fast. Yep. You know, so. yep. Right. I don't yeah. feel bad about that. But. And I took on the attitude that I will take care of you and my child. Yeah. And that's what we did. So. Good. So when we were, I was 23 by the time I had her. So it wasn't, you know, one an early marriage. Like I watched later years, a lot of really young girls, which I felt was young, 17. Yeah, they're starting to become even a mom. 16 in the case of my mom. Yeah, so. yeah. and having children right away. So, and we'll get into this. Do you still have a relationship with all of your eight children? Yes, yes. we do. Yes. Wow. Thank God. For everything that I know it's you've been through that we will talk yes. about, yeah. that is amazing. Yes, wonderful. It is, it is very well, we kind of had the nice parent and then the maybe not so nice parent. Somebody had to keep everyone in check, huh? Yeah. Oh, God, Somebody yeah. had to keep all of the kids happy. Yeah. And let them know they were all loved no matter what. And Even if mom says no, here's yeah. your piece of candy. 
Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what were your expectations being a member of the FLDS and having a family in Short Creek? What did you feel like your expectations as parents were in raising your children? So the first, the first couple of years with my oldest daughter was actually pretty lenient and pretty lat because Warren hadn't come into leadership really until she was about three. But as soon as he started giving us guidelines, it got very strict. And I was very, very strict. My mom had been very um, pointed to do things exactly. And, and she was an organizer. And so I became that and even more to my daughter. And then on from there, I was... The house is, had to be immaculate all the time, which meant just driving the kids. They Their play had to be supervised. They, my oldest daughter at three, we had to learn a whole new speech language, wow. which I don't know if anybody else experienced that, but I, there was just words I can use. I used as teenagers, like a, saying cool would have been taboo. Mm. Didn't my, say did not use that to my da- with my daughter. Now at three, even though, you know, she had grown up for a couple of years, pretty lax. Also the way I dressed her, I dressed her in pants and sure we were, I lived out in the city quite a bit when I was first married in Salt Lake in California, different places. And we were quite relaxed with uh, her dress and everything. But then once she, we started getting instructions, then it got a lot tighter and tighter and tighter. So Arana can practically remember, my oldest daughter can practically remember the day things started getting stricter. And it kind of drove me to be, uh, I, I was flat out mean at times. Like I think that I even got, came to the point where I would have been abusive, except that I just told myself I had grown up in an abusive home. And I was like, no way, I'm not going here with this. And I, it was, it was really hard to figure out how to stay within the guidelines I was being given which were very strict, and then still get the child to, I mean, gosh, it was so ridiculous that I was required to tell my three-year-old. I mean, I, we were told, by the time your child is three, they should be perfectly obedient, perfectly obedient. And so I'm telling my three-year-old, I look back on this and I just weep. My three-year-old, you cannot have your third birthday if you're not perfectly obedient uh-huh. on your third birthday. I don't look back, I still <laughs> cry. God, you know, who tells a three-year-old that? I did not realize you even told her that, actually. Yeah, and, and, yeah, and Jeff would have been like, oh, no, we're partying. So we kind of had some different views even there. She definitely did that behind my back because I would have fought her on that. Oh, you're not going to tell my daughter she can't have her (laughs) three-year-old birthday. Well, I don't know, I mean, because it was coming straight from what Warren told us. So at the time, I was just being so strict and being so... I think my driving force kind of came back from even as a child because in order to have my own mom around, I had to be perfectly good. At least I thought that because she mm-hmm. worked all the time. And so when she came home, I had to be good because mom was coming home. Mm-hmm. And so I required that of my kids too. As I, you know, like, sadly yeah. enough, a lot of that was passed on. And, and for people who aren't as familiar or seeing, you know, this video for the first time and being introduced to FLDS, What's the driving force behind your feelings as a mother of why you felt like you needed to have perfect children that were perfectly spiritually for you? What did that mean for you? Like the importance of it and why was that so important? So I, I think in the beginning, like when my children were really young, it was like you, we had had, I didn't really look at it like threats, but looking back now, it was definitely became threats later on, but it was like, you won't go heaven you will not have your spiritual salvation you will lose the chance to move on as time progressed it literally became to the point you will lose your family you will lose your own children you will lose your husband I think I mean within maybe two two three more years after that we had the threat of being separated if we weren't perfectly obedient so it that was a driving force. You you had your family taken away, and not only that, if if Jeff was to like, I was kind of almost on guard for him because if he lost his priesthood, we would lose our home, our family, our whole world would have been shattered. The, could you define? And so the, sometimes, oh, sorry, yeah, ahead. sorry. Sometimes like him even like sneaking the candy. If I knew that, I was like really strict. Like, no, because 
you know, I don't want to lose you, you know. Yeah. So I became like almost ridiculously strict. Mm. And th this must have been during the time of war and Jeffs, yes, right? This was yes. after Rulin had passed right. away. Exactly. Things, things started yeah. becoming this way. Right. Uh, either one of you, Jeff or Nick, if you could explain, you mentioned if he were to lose his priesthood, what does that mean? Yeah. So if you, there were certain sins, if you committed, so to speak, that it would cause you to lose your priesthood. And in our case, um, I believe that we were one of Warren Jeff's test cases because um, due to certain circumstances that I have not any time to get involved with right now, um, then I so-called lost my priesthood and we were separated for 63 days. Um, but uh, I did everything I possibly could to try to get the right spirit and everything and repent and be good and all that kind of stuff, um, which I don't feel bad about. I'm a better person because of it. It was very hard and difficult, but I, I was to have no contact with, with her or my two children and even being right there in the same community and it was very difficult and I you you better believe I wanted my little kids back oh, and yeah. my wife and so I did everything until um, like I said 63 days then um, Warren called me up and said father says you can have your family back and I happened to be in Salt Lake and so I was headed down to Short Creek and so I just I didn't let the grass grow and I went to Short Creek and we got married that night again because oh, wow. because if you lose your priesthood then you lose your marriage covenant and you lose everything and you have to be rebaptized and remarried. I did not know that. So yeah. losing so losing your priesthood basically means excommunication. Yeah. Pretty much. Yes. Like you're you're no longer part of the church, you're no longer welcome, you're not allowed to have your family. Yes. You lose everything. Yep. Because the church and the priesthood owns everything. Correct. So literally, um, they moved me out of my, she kept the house, they moved me out of the house, and I got moved over to what was called at that time the Bishop's Apartments, and that's where I lived for 63 days, wow. um, well, so to speak, but I was driving truck at the time. And it, it's kind of interesting, too, um, the mindset of the community, because even though um, I'm old enough uh to make good wages and all that kind of stuff in the FLDS if you don't have a family. Nah, we don't have to pay you that much. And so now all of a sudden I didn't have a family and um, I immediately lost my job and so I had to go job hunting and it was very difficult mm -hmm. to find a job. And then when I did, oh yeah, well you just recently lost your family so we don't have to pay you anything. And so literally I got drastically skinny because I that was part of what my repentance was so to speak I started fasting and praying like crazy yeah. and because of the fact that I wasn't getting very much money I turned everything I possibly could, it could into the bishop who was Fred Jessup at the time to try to give him some money to support my family did he turn and take that money and support my family no they pretty much starved to death for those 63 days too and I was starving to death trying to give every dime I could in so that I could but um support them but i guess that made me look good to the church because oh wow look at all this money he's turning in yeah let's give his family back he's going to be a really good well, financial support to us i guess I, um yeah, yeah i think it was definitely a test case because warren i'm gonna call it just a little game that he played because he was constantly calling both of us and seeing if we were coming up to the requirements the father wanted which was rolling and he had already <clears> had his stroke and and then, you know, looking back now, it was all the requirements that Warren had. Mm -hmm. And he and, and he played it like he was giving us a favor by being there and being this middle person that will help Father get us back together. And so he he was the good guy. You know, basically it became please me and you can have your kids back. It was literally that. What was it like yeah. for you and your children for those 63 days? So oh, Jeff's saying, you know, yeah. he's starving to death and doing everything yeah. to get back to you guys as fast as he can. Yeah. What was it like it for was, you? It was, you know, pretty lonely, I'd say, too, because I had a, a my son was just starting to walk and talk, and they were both the kids. The other, my daughter was turning four. Emotional, just emotional. You want daddy. I can't, now what do I do? I didn't even know how I was supposed to feel. Am I supposed to love him anymore? Am I going to even be back with him? 
do I look on? And a lot of people, I, I had to go work for, I had to keep my kids with me, so I would go work. So there's no where to really babysit or, or like no daycares or anything at the yeah. community at the time. And that's what I'd take them with me, but I'd just go clean for people. And I kind of became like the maid, and then a lot of people were looking at like, hey, just marry into our family. Mm. And it just got really uncomfortable really fast. Like, it just was, like, I wanted to just hide in a hole. But <laughs> and honestly, know, I did have my own little trainer, though, to, to stay at. Honestly, that was my number one fear, that she would just be reassigned. And so that's why I doubled down and tried going way above and beyond to the point of I nearly died, so to speak, yeah. because I ate very little and yeah. I mean literally I went days and days and days without eating and just only drank water and stuff yeah. when I really had to and yeah. wow. um, because of that fact and even to the point that when we were back together then the pretty much the whole community as a whole were like oh wow this is a miracle and I had yeah. even my friends coming to me saying oh, I don't know how you did it I just don't think I could have I could have done it. I couldn't have gone through that. And I was, we just don't know how you, you did it. And how did you get your family back? And because it was really unheard of. Yeah. Well, at that, that point, we'd seen a lot of separations mm. in the community, but rarely had anybody got back together. Yeah, you yeah. almost have to wonder if Warren Jeffs allowed he did. a few people like yourselves to get back to give the other people oh. hope yes. to, he, keep, to was, keep doing what they're supposed to do. It was definitely looking back, it was a favor. He was just doing us such a favor to put this back again. And convincing other people yes. that it's possible. Look, right. if you just do this, then yeah. look, other people are getting and, back and together. And Jeff even possible. got to the point where he started speaking like work in mm. order to be. When when we did get back together and he was talking with me and I was like, hey, yeah. you, got, you gotta you gotta <laughs> just be yourself because I can't how handle did, this. How did, it affect you, how did it affect you spiritually? Like coming back, obviously you're still believing. You're working so hard, doing so like above and beyond spiritually, and you do get your family back. Was it like a very big testimony builder as to like the truthfulness of the church, or did it leave you jaded as like there's something wrong here, or did it double down like and yeah. build your strength and for, faith? For me, it doubled down. Me, oh wow, Warren is the prophet, and well, he had the power. Right then and right. there. And I think that for me, it just kind of became do it or die. Right. So a little more, yeah. a little for more both fear. Us, do it or die. And, a lot more fear. Oh, yeah. We knew and what I don't happen. really know. At the time, I didn't call it fear. I called it was choice. We want to do this. We, we want, want to, to do what Warren says. So faith know, promoting, so but through became, fear. Yes. Exactly. And, and there was a point that it, I even thought, you know, this is not supposed to be fear, but honestly, yeah, we, we I, had a big scare. It took its toll because she said yeah. that our son um, had just started to walk. He'd just started to talk. He quit talking, and it was at least three or four months after we were back together before he started talking again. Wow. So, so the, the, very the, much even the very him. small children yeah, were impacted, were impacted yes. very significantly by this. Correct. Yes, it was. Yeah, it was wow. actually a whole year before he talked again. He mm. just was silence and and to this day, it still just wipes him out. I mean, he's a grown adult. So yeah, you, you mentioned this living in fear. And yeah. even myself, I only was there until age 18. Right. But I look back on my childhood growing up out there. Yeah. And you're right. I felt like, oh, no, this is what I want. I'm so happy. I'm so blessed to be elite and a part of this small group that's the only truth and has the only truth. And now I look back and realize, like, I was afraid all, almost my entire life. Yeah because of the way we were raised, that, that if you don't do exactly what you're told, all these awful things could happen yeah, to you. Yeah. And because of that, my fear, I even put that in my kids even more so than, I mean, mm -hmm. that was a goddamn saint. <laughs> you know, I was like, yeah. really you had strict. To be. I had to be. Mm -hmm. yeah. To save your family, and, and you're gonna and, do anything for your and family. And like I said, it had already come before as a child, had to be perfect well, for my it, mom. It's so much more than just our immediate family, though. It's literally our relatives and friends and everything. And if you didn't um, do exactly what they said, you would lose your whole culture and everything. And you would right. be out there all alone 
with no help whatsoever, no friends whatsoever, and nothing that you knew. It would literally be like being taken to the Antarctica or somewhere and dropped off where it is really cold and terrible, which is pretty much what our view of the so-called world was. Right. Mm -hmm. It's really cold and terrible and you're going to freeze to death. <laughs> right. It's just so sad, but that's 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 the reason we fought so hard to stay in it right. yes. and right. to, to be obedient. Right. Not to mention what we were promised would happen to us in the afterlife right. if right. we weren't obedient, right? That's a whole other topic. Yeah. Uh, we would so, have to be go through the second death and our yeah. spirit would be killed and it yeah. just wouldn't exist anymore. Exactly. Yeah. Very so, frightening. Yeah. I think for me that at, you know, in early years with my first kids, it was like that. I wanted to be good enough for salvation, but I think it slowly became good enough for Warren. It really was. Absolutely. It definitely, I mean, I can't even tell you exactly when that turned over, but it definitely became that very, very quickly. I took my kids, their whole life was just to be good enough for Warren.